On and off the field, women in sports are inspiring and motivating others to be the best versions of themselves, rewriting the rules and changing the game. This is the On Her Turf podcast, hosted by Katherine Tappen. Welcome to the On Her Turf podcast. I'm Katherine Tappen. Thank you so much for joining us this episode. Today we are chatting in studio with Hannah Storm. Hannah is an award-winning journalist, producer, and director. She is a pioneer in the field of sports broadcasting for women, a published author, an advocate for children suffering from debilitating vascular birthmarks, and most importantly, a mother of three. Hannah, welcome. Yay, it's so fun to be here with you. I I'm, love it. You had my husband already, I know, so I know. It's, you know, it's a family we, affair. It is. I'm so lucky that I get both of you guys in this season of the podcast. And, and by the way, speaking of your husband, congratulations on 25 years. We saw all over the social media for both of you guys celebrating your 25th wedding anniversary with your three beautiful daughters in Hawaii. How was that trip? It was amazing. Uh, we have wanted to go to Hawaii for so long. And, um, you know, now that they're getting older, we find that that really that sweet spot between Christmas and New Year's is great because believe it or not, now they all have jobs and obligations <laughs> in the summer. Thank goodness, right? Uh, which is great. So, um, you know, we, we just, it was magical. I think Hawaii is incredible. It's beautiful. Beautiful. We were in Kapalua Bay, mm. and it's just everything that people say it is, and and more. So definitely worth the. I don't know what is it, eleven or twelve hours. It's a from long the East way. Coast I've been to Hawaii there. once. I was in Kapalua as well, and I just felt like I was in another world. You but are. you're still in the United States, yeah, so that's it's what's easy. So cool. You don't. It's so mm-hmm. cool. Like if anything ever happens, you're still in U.S. territory, which is comforting yeah. in our own way. But um, everybody's really nice there too. Yeah. Like I, you just must wake up happy every day. I know. Right? It's the Hawaiian way. <laughs> I wish we exactly. could all. I wish we could all have that. Well, exactly. well, I'm glad you guys got to celebrate that. Thank and um, you. as you mentioned, Dan was in here, so we talked a mm-hmm. lot about, you know, the balance. And you guys sure. have these two incredible careers, and mm-hmm. you've had them for a long, long time. And you both are very successful. And but you're traveling a lot, and with this career comes pressure and demands. And so when you look back on these 25 years and plus, plus the years you were dating, I mean, mm-hmm. what makes it work, Hannah? I think that w- being a, a parent, what really made it work is that Dan and I made a concerted effort to not be gone at the same time. There were a couple of times when we were both at NBC when we were both gone for the Olympics and his parents would come in uh, for that time because that's a real good three week, three and a half week chunk, as you know. But those really were the only times where we were gone for an extended period of time at the same time. So we definitely shared the balance of Mm -hmm. the kids. There was one of us almost always around and it stayed that way all the way through high school. So we were just tried to be really careful to do that. And I think there's a built-in understanding when you're with somebody in the business of what they have to do and their obligations. So we've never had any kind of stress in terms of, oh, you have to go on the road again. You know, it's more like, oh, I'll really miss you. But it it wasn't, you know, like, oh, the demands of the job were were too much for one spouse or the other. Because we both had this, you know, innate understanding of of really what it took. Right. You guys get it. Like, you Mm -hmm. both understood each other. Exactly. Uh, how how often, I mean, do you lean on him for advice and over the years, especially being in a male-dominated industry? I mean, what kind of advice has he given you over Yeah, I mean, we always talk about work, and that's probably one of the reasons why we got to be really close. We, we met at CNN, and at the time, I was getting all sorts of hate mail, and, you know, there was so much, you know, sort of vitriol out there every time I 
you know, did did or said something that somebody didn't like, you know, I would have letters and so forth. That's, of course, back before Twitter yeah, <laughs> and yeah. email and well, all of thank that. Goodness. You know? Thank goodness. Of course, that that's a lot of fun still. And I think he was just so great. He was such a really good friend to me during that time. And I am often asked, you know, what's your advice with marriage? And I think one of the principal things, and you hear a lot of people say it, but, it, but they say it because it's true, is you do really need to have your spouse be your best friend. And so certainly he came to be that at when we were together at CNN and then later we got married after we both came to NBC, mm-hmm. which was pretty cool. It is cool. I mean, he shared a story with us too during the podcast when he came on about, you know, you talk about the hate mail you received, but he also mentioned, you know, some people that stood in your way early on in your career at CNN and, and some adversity that you fought very early on. And I know you are a trailblazer for women like me who are able to do this job every night. It's because women like you plowed the way for us. So what were some of the conflicts that you faced early on in your career, people standing in your way? I think that there's a lack of, you know, certainly at that time when there weren't very many women doing sports, there was a a lack of a willingness or an acceptance to have women in that field. So whether it was at times maybe fellow journalists or, you know, even back to my days in radio in Houston, or maybe it was, uh, you know, certain executives or maybe it was team executives that sort of weren't very contemporary. Some athletes at times, um, I would say, you know, certain certain leagues, certain groups of athletes were, were better than others. For instance, I think uh, because Michael Jordan was so accepting of me and other women covering basketball, kind of the whole league fell in line there, which was really interesting. Just, uh, you know, a gentleman through and through. Mm -hmm. But also he sort of understood that, you know, it was modern times and he was he was he was okay with that. So I would say really was at different levels along the way. You know, I don't think that bigotry or ignorance really discriminates. I think it's different people at different times in different places. And at the same time, you had really forward thinking people who like a Dick Ebersol, who, you know, watched me every night on CNN and, and brought me to NBC and gave me all these unprecedented roles here that had never been given to a woman. Or if you look at the, you know, Amazon now and Jason Weichelt and him having this vision to say, you know, I want to have two women call an NFL game. I mean, something that that literally was is on no one else's radar, you know. So there are, you know, I always feel like there are as many, you know, visionaries, mm-hmm. maybe not quite as many visionaries as naysayers, but those visionaries have always been there. And then when you can, you know, align with them along the way, it's very meaningful and very impactful. But it takes a special person sort of to see things not as they've always been, but to see them differently. And a lot of that I'm sure you would attribute to your upbringing and your father's influence, yes. which I want to get to that story <laughs> in a moment. But first, right on the on the tail end of what you were talking about there, you mentioned your Thursday night football opportunity. So uh, you and Andrea Kramer 
became the first female duo to provide commentary and analysis for Amazon's live streaming of those 11 Thursday night football games on Prime Video. I mean, this was unprecedented. It was amazing what you guys were able to achieve. And then you go into it and you guys were awesome doing it. I mean, we were listening on Thursday nights, you know, when we were out in Notre Dame doing the games and I've listened to all of them. Talk to me about that opportunity. Maybe the initial fear you had when it came about. Sure. And what were your initial thoughts when this was presented to you? You know, I think and one of the things I always tell young women is, you know, at times you, you really do have to take risks and bet on yourself, even when something seems daunting or scary. And, you know, that was the case with Amazon. I have done play-by-play for the WNBA and also for tennis, but I had never done it for football. I just had, didn't have the opportunity. The opportunities weren't there. Mm-hmm. And certainly for Andrea to do analysis. So the most important thing that they said to us that this is not a gimmick. And they said, if the two of you don't do this, we aren't going to do it. We're not going to go find two other women. This is it. Wow. We want the two of you. Mm-hmm. You have the gravitas. You have the credibility. You have the work ethic. We think you guys can pull it off. But if you're not interested, we're not we're not going to do it. No, no, no other women are going to get an opportunity. Well, right there. I mean, you got me hook, line, and sinker. I'm like, well, we have to do it now, of you course. know, because no we have to do it. We have to prove it can be done so that other people will be able to do this down the road. Like, we, we had to. And so we kind of, you know, held hands and, like, dove off that cliff. And it was very, very challenging. And we call it off of the Fox feed. So it'd be mm-hmm. very similar to what you do at NBC for the Olympics when you're calling certain events off of a world feed. So you don't necessarily know. You, you don't necessarily know. You don't know at all what replays are right, coming, what right. graphics are coming, what crazy, you know, fake commercials are, you know, down the pike, when people are coming on camera. So it makes for a pretty wild broadcast because it's so much more than literally just looking at at the the field. The other thing is we're not at the field. So a lot of times I don't see substitution. Sometimes you don't know where, where the flag is thrown. Sometimes you're, you know, your orientation on TV, you're just looking at the screen, you know, so we're not necessarily looking at the all 22. So we don't have the perspective of being there. And sometimes we don't even have the perspective of like, how loud is the crowd or, or you know, what's the situation? So, you know, with injuries, you know, all the things that yeah. go into, as you well know, with Notre Dame football, all the things that you're seeing down there and that you're seeing in a stadium, you know, imagine, you know, we're calling it from Stanford Connecticut. And so it's even more challenging. But what we decided to do was try to compensate with that by talking to a lot of extra people before games. So we might talk to us, you know, we talked to a bunch of parents, you know, we talked to like Oliver Luck, for example, that that's a great example. Mm -hmm. Or we talked to Connie Watt, or we talked to, hey, now he's a head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. But we (laughs) talked to him about Patrick Mahomes. We talked to high school coaches, college coaches, friends, people on different perspective, you know, even what, what did Magic Johnson think? of the no-look pass that Patrick Mahomes threw. Just tried to mix it up a little and do some extra work to try to give it our own spin on it, our own kind of reporting spin, and be able to tell some stories. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you're talking about that, I mean, that's almost the sideline reporter role, the play-by-play role, the color. You guys are doing all the roles, the producer's role, the director's role, in one little package here with the two of you guys. And I know you had some great researchers with you as well and some great stats guys, right? We had, had, we have, uh, Ben, was it? We we have, uh, yeah, Ben Ben Boma. Boma. (laughs) 
who's a hockey guy. <laughs> That's right. Um, so he is our, we call him our LMC. He's our lone male colleague. Nice. <laughs> we, we even got him a hat with the initials on it. So he is what's called a spotter. And so when, as, as well as he can, because sometimes he can't even see either, but he'll, you know, see things on the field or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he'll, he'll, he'll be able to say, you know, this person's in the backfield or, or what have you. So that his role is actually very similar to what that role would be for Mike Tirico or Al Michaels or anybody that's at a stadium. They would have a spotter, someone who's kind of their right hand. You know, you have a big board in front of you with all their numbers on it. And, you know, he's helping you identify who's up, who made a certain hit mm-hmm. and what have you. And then we have a researcher named Lauren Gaffney, um, who Andrea had worked with at HBO. And then we have a producer who's worked done, done incredible work here at NBC named Betsy Riley. So Betsy tries to, as best she can, kind of listen in on Fox, like figure out what's yeah, Fox what's doing. Troy you know, thinking? She what's... interprets everything. Sure, because yeah, it's well, their replays, right? But it's, it's their, their, their director. They're making the calls. We don't have anyone in the truck. So Betsy, because she's a genius anyway <laughs> and she's a great leader so she really tries to as best she can especially for me give me a lot of trap just what she thinks is coming up and <laughs> you know just she prepares me as much as possible with graphics and things like that and then she does all the scheduling and all of that so we have the same kind of meetings you know we, we meet with coaches and players but over the telephone mm-hmm. so she's all into that and then she you know obviously as you know super creative and has great ideas and and that's been and, you know, so it's really a gang of four, four women. And then Ben comes in the day of the game. But it's it's a really cool little group, you know, small but mighty. And uh, I think it's neat that it's four women. Um, that was really important to Andrea and I to just not, you know, necessarily have it be the face of it, but have it be that female sensibility behind the scenes as well. And uh, I would say, it was, you know, it's been very, very special. Are you proud of it? Very. You must be. Um, I, of course, listen, I've only done 11 games and a couple of preseason practices. And so you look at the people who've done hundreds of games and and they're the very best. I mean, you're just, you know, Al Michaels is the pinnacle of that profession and of play-by-play. And I mean, it's incredibly difficult. It's It's very, very challenging. And I'm a little baby in that uh, regard and don't even pretend to have that level of dexterity and expertise that the guys who do it all the time do. But at the same time, all I can do is do my best. You know, you Mm -hmm. have to start somewhere. And so I definitely can say that I worked as hard as anybody does to prepare for a game and definitely my own worst critic. And um, as is Andrea, we're very, very much alike that way. And so, you know, all we can do is just hope to get better week by week. And I, I think we did improve. I, we Obviously, we have a you know, long way to go. It's like playing golf, right? You're never going to have the perfect round. You know, you're never going to have the, never. Never gonna have the perfect <laughs> broadcast. And that's just the way it is. And, and it, even, you know, you look at rookies. I mean, we were rookies, right? Look at the Sam Darnold, mm-hmm. right, in his season, you know, up and down. I mean, that's just the way it is. And so really tried to enjoy the process. And Amazon's big concern is, are you having a good time doing it? Are you happy? You know, are you having fun? Are you enjoying the process? Because, you know, we're behind you 100%. And their audience, because they are prime members and they choose to watch us, they really like it. Our approval ratings are really, really high. 
the only thing that the audience really gets upset about is when they can't find us. You know, uh, if they yeah. can't like figure out sure. the, the audio settings or something. So that's been cool. And also, you know, people watch us in 200 countries. So that's awesome. that's what's cool too, because you figure, wow, is there somebody in a country somewhere that their first exposure to football is listening to two women talk about? It? Like, how cool is that? It <laughs> is. It is, it is so really think, cool. I think that's really I love neat. it. Yeah. Well, where's it going to lead you, Hannah? Do you think? I mean, you mentioned, are we having fun with this? Are we enjoying yeah, yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we, you see yourself would, doing more we, of it? We'd love to do it again next year. Amazon has a contract for one more year with the NFL, so we'd love to do it again. And I think we'll know fairly soon whether mm-hmm. or not that's going to happen. And I love play-by-play. I always have. I've loved live. I love things when they're breaking and they're rocking and rolling. I think that's why I love news so much because, you know, you're always on the fly, whether it's conducting interviews or covering breaking news or what have you. That, to me, is the most exciting, whether it's anchoring like uh, Ollie's funeral for nine hours or something, you know, things that are happening, like events, things that are that are that are going on, I think are... You know, it's the most exciting adrenaline pumping, you, you know, doing yeah. doing hockey, you know, doing, you know, even like NBA half times, post games, like all of that. We're like, think, you know, it's it it's an event. It gets your juices it's going an event. for sure. And that's what's so great about sports. And I think, you know, play by play is sort of the ultimate version of that. So, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I'm totally hooked. And <laughs> well, I we're glad lo- I would love to do more. Yes. That is awesome. I, you've mentioned a couple times the word preparation throughout your conversation yeah. here. I so I sounds think, so boring, doesn't it? Well, but. it sounds boring, but it is absolutely imperative to being mm-hmm. good at the jobs that, that you do, that I do. And I think a lot of people have this misperception of television, right? They see us pop up. You know, you might be there in a Notre Dame game, for example, for me. And I know you're a diehard Notre Dame fan having uh, gone to school there. But, you know, it may only come to me for 30 seconds at a time, maybe 30 seconds the whole first half sure. of the game. But going into that 30 seconds, I mean, I've got pages and pages and pages of notes and preparation that go into right. it. So from your perspective, uh, when you're preparing for Sports Center or you're preparing for your docu-series, documentaries mm-hmm. that you're producing, what is the number one key for you in that preparation process that you have to adhere to to know that you're going to have a great broadcast? I think you go a step beyond. So I always look at the facts and then I ask myself questions about those facts. What's okay? I know what happened. I know we're going to be able to talk about this happened, X, Y, and Z, but why? And what does it mean spinning forward? And what does it mean, you know, what's the domino effect of something happening? Why is it significant? And so I think that not everybody thinks in those terms. I like thinking in those terms. I like sort of pushing the envelope of thought. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, because I make films and documentaries and I do branded content. So I think because I direct and produce, I probably think that way. But I'm, I'm sort of an analytical thinker in general. And so usually I, I just, whatever I'm studying usually begets a lot of questions. And I try, to, I try to just go next level and answer those and talk about those. And I think it really helps because when you're talking about a live sporting event or you're analyzing something, it really does enable you to sort of articulate mm-hmm. something that's a little bit next level from the obvious. I want to go back to what I mentioned off the top about your upbringing. And I recently read 
a column that you had written back in 2011, I think it was, for ESPN.com, and you talked so much about your dad, your dad, Mike Storen, who was the former commissioner of the American Basketball Association. Yeah, the ABA. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also held so many other prestigious positions in sports, um, mm-hmm. executive positions. He was fascinating. Um, a Notre Dame football player, went into the Marine Corps, and yep. then gets into sports. Talk to me about the values that he instilled in you and the way he empowered you and the confidence that you have at a very young age to pursue your dreams. He still does. I mean, he's such a great sounding board for me. I have a great relationship, obviously, with both my parents, but it's just so fun talking to him about sports. And I think as a parent, you know, sometimes you feel really like guilty. Oh, I have to work or I have to be away. But I think what you don't realize until your kids get older is how much they do model after you. And I think one of the things that I really learned from my dad was he was very positive. So he was a sports executive and you see how sports executives and coaches and think how much they bounce around. And that's how much we bounced around. I went to like yeah. seven different schools. We constantly moved all over the place, which I think it was good because it enabled me to, I'm able to kind of talk to a stranger, you know, make friends pretty quickly. It really helps with interviews. Mm-hmm. You're just sitting down across from somebody you've never met. But I'm so used to this kind of the way I grew up because I kept get going into new situations constantly. And so I think my dad was just very, even though he might have gotten fired from jobs or, te- you know, a team he was with is losing a championship or something changed. He was always a really positive person. And he was constantly uh, really open-minded looking for the next thing. And so... He was in, uh, he was with an old football league and he was president of a team called the Memphis Grizzlies that had Zonka Kick and Warfield and (laughs) Danny White was their kicker and Elvis used to go to the games. I know, you sat sat next next to Elvis, right? It was like so cool. cool. But, but, and then, you know, the ABA, he was in the NBA, um, professional tennis, the Houston Astros. So all sorts of different, you know, I was exposed to a lot of different sports growing up and I really learned just how much fun it was, you know, and that that's what stuck with me. And that's mm-hmm. why I guess, you know, I did something that was really unusual for my gender. And I was like, I love, first of all, I'm a ham. I love being performing and being on the air. And I loved, I was always on stage. I love that. But then I was like, you know, I really like sports. Like sports is fun. Mm-hmm. It's just exciting, you know, and every event has a beginning, a middle and an end. And so I think having gone to those games since I was a little kid and being around that, being around a lot of athletes just afforded me this real comfort level and enthusiasm for the world of sports. And, you know, that was all gifted to me by my dad. You actually, you've been in news, you know, mm-hmm. we, we saw you on CBS early show, 48 hours, ABC's 2020, Love a lot that. of fee. So what's the biggest difference for you between news and sports? And do you like one over the other? Um, I, I still love news. Um, I think that sports and news have probably come a lot closer together. Mm-hmm. It used to be that sports coverage was solely on the field and, you know, there were always issues and, and sort of newsy things that happened in sports, but we really didn't talk about them that much until the last several years. So I think that many things really sort of flipped the switch in that regard, but certainly Penn State, um, the Donald Sterling scandal with the Clippers, Michael Sam coming into the NFL, uh, the Ray Rice situation. We had so many societal issues that started to intersect in a very front and center way with the sports world. And I think what that did is it brought a lot more diverse voices into the sports world. All sorts of people who maybe hadn't been quote unquote sportscasters before then entered this realm. So I think it was very 
I think it was great in terms of the diversity of voices that talk about sports. And I also think sports came very, you know, much, much closer to news, you know, social issues and, and issues of, you know, everything from, you know, race to sexuality and what have you, domestic violence. You know, those were just all things we would always like kind of maybe touch upon. They go, but back to the field, you know, and now those are things that we talk about in conjunction with sports. So I would say that sports and news are a lot more closely aligned now than they used to be. Do you think having covered news uh, the way you did did that make you better yes. as far as a sportscaster where most of the time mm-hmm. we're not talking about very difficult situations. We're talking about situations. We're talking about teams. We're talking about coaches moving mm-hmm. around, whatever it may be, or the game. Did it make you better having covered that angle before? I, I think it did. I think I, I, I honestly think that covering sports and the ability to ad lib and talk on the fly made me a much, much better newscaster. So whether it was the Iraq war, whether it was Hurricane Katrina or, you know, some sort of um, attack, you know, something happening overseas, I was really calm and really able to work without a teleprompter or without someone telling me what to say. You know, I understood how to talk about an event as it was unfolding. And I think that on the back end of that, what being in the news realm continued to hammer home to me were just the journalistic skills. And so then when I went back after news, back to ESPN, I think I brought a whole nother set of just, you know, journalistic values and perspective to the table that was, you know, different. Well, your perspective is apparent in everything you do. I mentioned, um, you know, directing and producing and I'm going to talk about your foundation in a moment as well, but you're also an author, and uh, you authored Go Girl, Raising Healthy, Confident, and Successful Daughters Through Sports, three amazing, intelligent, beautiful daughters that I've had the opportunity to meet, uh, Ellery, Hannah, Riley. Um, I, I mean, you can see when you meet your daughters, yours and Dan's daughters, just how confident they are, how positive they are. What was the number one message that you think sports gave your daughters? We talk a lot about it here on this podcast, how it instilled that confidence. I know they were accomplished horseback riders and, mm-hmm. and participated in various different sports. But why do you think that message was so important that you actually went and you wrote a book about it as well? Well, I mean, I wrote a book about it because I was a sportscaster, but I didn't even know. I was making crazy mistakes, like putting my daughter on ice skates too early or, you know, I had these experiences and like in soccer where, you know, my oldest daughter, who's, who's really not much of an athlete, although she's an extremely confident person, um, you know, all the kids are like picking daisies on the field, you know, and, and the coach. <laughs> coaches like telling them to go out and kill the other team and they're like three and four and I'm like okay I need to really know what's going on at this level I'm good at the pro thing but you know what's going on with kids so I really wrote this book about girls in particular because it's sports is so insanely impactful but you know it's also a very individualistic thing so what's good for one kid isn't good for the other kid so what maybe one kid might enjoy yoga you know and another one as you mentioned one was a, a ballet dancer and a horseback rider the other one literally played every single sport offered in her school and then did one one year and one the next and one the next. I think she played like 20 different sports. So I just think it's the confidence of being on a team, I think, and understanding how to work with other people and that sense of belonging, uh, the opportunity for leadership. You know, my oldest daughter was a senior, but she decided to stay with JV soccer and be a captain. But 
you know, rather than sort of be like a bit player on the varsity soccer so team. Yeah. And and she did cool. it with another friend who was a senior. So they That's kind awesome. of had an opportunity to lead these younger kids. And it was a blast. They had a great time. But, you know, there's just different things that you learn about losing. You learn how to handle things that are not in your control. You learn what it's like to sacrifice for someone else, what it's like to push yourself when you need to and step forward when you need to. So there's so many incredible lessons that come from sports. And I think just being exposed to it, you know, you don't have to be the greatest athlete in the world, but just being exposed to those different situations in whatever sport your child feels comfortable in. And, you know, look, let's face it, the endorphins, um, the physical activity, um, literally being away from your phone, which is, you know, as we mm-hmm. all know, you know, is basically surgically attached to mm-hmm. their their hands. All of those things are great. And then all you can do is offer the base. And then, of course, they go off to college or what have you. And you just see, you know, at what point they want to come back. Like one of the most important things I did with my daughters wasn't like a quote unquote team sport either, but it was they all went wilderness. They, they started camping in the wilderness when they were young. So they all became very attached to nature and to hiking and to being outdoors like that's and they all understand that they're happy when they're doing that that's that's huge yeah you know and so that falls under the realm of what we're talking about sure yeah it doesn't have to be the soccer team in the town have to be just get them out and moving and into something that they Mm -hmm. enjoy Mm -hmm. and dan mentioned you guys went on ski trips as well yeah and a lot of times you're associating it with your parents so you know if a kid If you read to your child, they associate reading with being close to you. If you throw a ball with your child, they also associate that with you. So even like later, my daughters, every time somebody graduates, I say, pick a trip and we'll go somewhere. So they've picked these crazy things. So (laughs) my oldest daughter picked Iceland. So we ended up, you know... Uh, oh my God. I mean, like on glaciers and stuff. <laughs> awesome. Like, I, I'm like, what am I lagoon? doing? <laughs> yes, we did go to the Blue Lagoon, but that was relaxing. But I was like literally climbing glaciers with like, you know, crampons on my shoes and, you know, ATVing. And it was, it was oh insane. My gosh. And then my next daughter picked Bali. And so we, we were, you know, we hiked up a volcano and we did like all this crazy stuff. And of course I'm like, not nearly as adept <laughs> as they are at their age, gazelling around the volcanoes right, right. and the glaciers, but just associating like being active with them and it's you know it's fun it is fun it's fun it's awesome and they are sue you're i know you're so proud of them you've got hannah at usc you've got uh ellery at uh santa Santa clara Clara. right Mm -hmm. and is riley going to duke she is she is no notre dame result no i'm (laughs) just saying listen all i want is mike shashevsky please do not retire for four years like that like just just for four years at duke zion i know you're leaving that's okay i'm all right with that but Man, I really, Coach K's just got to stick yeah, around. I, I totally hear you. She needs that <laughs> experience. A deal breaker. And, and the thing is, I told them all, and they all they all get it with Notre Dame because they grew up with, with me being the way I am. But, you know, we're all Notre Dame fans. And as you well know, you don't have to go to Notre Dame or, you know, it's still a part of our family. We all cheer for Notre Dame and, you know, we go to the games and all of that. So that's nothing. I, diff- I did yeah. want one of them maybe to go there. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's funny you say it's that. Okay. I run into more people that are not Notre Dame alums, but are Notre Dame fans. Yes, and I do I the know. actual, like, did you go to school there? I mean, there's probably only a handful I yeah. know that actually went to school there. The but Subway alumni. Yeah, yeah, it's like Red Sox fans. I mean, it's yeah, the same totally. way. Same totally. way. Totally. Um, your foundation, I know this is something that you're so proud of. In 2008, you founded the Hannah Storm Foundation, mm-hmm. which advocates for children and parents of children suffering from a debilitating vascular birthmarks. Mm-hmm. And this is a very personal cause for you as well. Just tell me about it and why you felt so compelled to start this foundation. Yeah, I was born with a port wine stain under my left eye. So that looks kind of like someone took a glass of wine and spilled it on your face. And I'm sure you've seen people there have been like Mikhail Gorbachev was one of the most famous with a a port wine stain. But there are people that you see walking around sometimes with those or other kind of birthmarks or vascular anomalies. It's kind of the fancy name for it, but it Mm -hmm. it is a vascular condition. And there are kids really all over the world who are suffering greatly because they're severely disfigured. Um, There are no resources to handle their surgeries. They're not really covered by insurance because they're considered quote unquote plastic surgery, but they can lead to loss of eyesight or the ability even to eat or breathe. You know, in some cases, it can be a fatal condition. And at the very basic level, the disfiguring nature of it can be really debilitating in terms of, of growing up that way. So it's just something that had not really been addressed in a public way. And when I was at CBS News, I took my makeup off and I did a whole series on it. I met some great young people that were battling through that. And uh, a little boy had written a book, you know, just really inspirational kids um, and, and the best doctor in the world I got to be friendly with. And so At his urging, I started the Hannah Storm Foundation as soon as I left CBS News. Sometimes when you're at a news place, it can be a little tricky having your own foundation with your name on it. Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, right when I left there, I started it. They asked me to put my name on it because I had, you know, pretty good name recognition. And it really helps with searches and, and that kind of thing. And then we've done surgeries for kids literally around the world. Wow. And he, he does them either at Lenox Hill in New York or at the hospital in Berlin. And it's been great. I mean, the, the surgeries are really expensive and they're, you know, but we get letters from literally, you know, moms and dads yeah. across the globe and, and we help out as many as we can. I was going to say, what, what's one of the most compelling stories your parents maybe you've heard from? Something that really resonated I mean, with you? parents who, you know, sold their cars to, to get surgeries. I mean, just it's... Mm-hmm. Just, it's just heartbreaking, you know, and there was a, a little boy who came to us from South Africa and we, we, you know, it's, listen, it's, it just, it, it takes time to go back and forth and then actually get them here and then do a bunch of surgeries. And I remember with him, it was a real struggle. We were trying to save his eye and we couldn't save his eye. And that was really upsetting for me, but we did, we did help him a lot. I mean, he looks, you know, a lot better. He's, you know, was able to kind of get his surgeries and kind of move on with his life. And then there's this, my favorite little boy. I don't know. I just love this kid from China. And uh, he was our first patient. And and we stay and we stay in touch with all our patients and their parents. And he's like, he's like a preteen now. And he had like 11 surgeries here and came back and forth. He's adorable. And we have a little girl domestically that's lovely. And she's coming back for a couple more. So we just, wow. you know, we have kids all over. It's pretty cool. And and even we, we started dealing with some um, older patients who just, you know, again, have just been able to get here to the United States, have just been able to start getting help. Ronald McDonald House has been great with our patients. So we just raised money this fall for a young woman 
who is severely disfigured, but again, just an incredible attitude and um, we're getting her some surgeries. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. It's very cool. It is. I mean, it is. The, everything you do is One just, person at a time. Of you know? course, yeah. of course. But yeah. I don't know how you do it in a matter of a 24-hour day, how you keep everything intact and I you do know. what you do. But Organized. <laughs> it, you have to be and you are. And I mean, my gosh, just continue to do the amazing work you do because you you inspire us on the air. You inspire people like me who, you know, who have been able to do what I do because of you and your charitable work is certainly admirable so um, but I know we've kept you so long I could keep you here for hours but I'm not going to do that to you Uh, but we do have a couple questions at the end we kind of like to dabble in that are are kind of fun oh okay Um, cool so if you've got to leave your house and you have to leave your cell phone back behind the one item besides your cell phone that you have to leave home with that that Oh, you got to take with you. You mean besides, okay, besides that actual driver's license. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if I didn't have my cell phone, oh, you mean, what would I have to take with me? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. Besides your wallet, that's kind of boring. Oh my gosh, I can't even, I would say some kind of like a lip gloss probably. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. The first one, that would be my guess. Though. Yeah. For me, yeah. I gotta have Chapstick, lip gloss. Chapstick, lip awesome. gloss, you know, something like that. Yeah, definitely. You, you mentioned traveling all over the world, Iceland, Bali. You just came back from Hawaii. Um, yes. Is there any spot on your bucket list that you need to hit? Yeah, I really want to go to the Greek islands. Ooh, I do really want to go to New Zealand. Um, those are probably what the first two that I'm trying to convince Riley to oh, <laughs> like, perfect, yeah. we haven't figured it out yet. Um, but those those two places I would say I'm I'm kind of itching to go to. Yeah, and I've never been um, there's a lot of cities in Europe that I haven't been to either. You know, I'd like to go mm-hmm. to Prague and some of the cities over there. But yeah, I would say the first, those are the first two that come okay, to mind. Okay, we'll yeah. get in Riley's ear. Tell yeah, Riley yeah, she's yeah. listening Greek. to the podcast. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> go to Greece. Yeah. I've got the itinerary if you go to Greece. Oh, good. It's amazing. Great. Um, books. I know you wrote a book and you read. you read all the time. Tell Voraciously. Me, so what kind of books do you like to read? I read, um, I constantly have probably a pile of books by my bed. Um, I read yeah. like crazy. I can't go to sleep without reading. So I read a lot of historical fiction. Um, I read a lot of books set in either a time period or a different country, um, but usually they have something to do with a, a point in history. So do you have um, a favorite? I read a lot of that. I have so many. Yeah. Um uh, what did I read this year that was, I think The Immortalist was, was mm-hmm. a really good one that I read this year. Um, and um, there, um, the other Einstein I thought was really good. It was about um, Einstein's first wife um, and her, you know, she was an incredible uh, mathematician, but it was about their really, you know, dysfunctional relationship and how, you know, she really had to take a back seat, but she was very instrumental in a lot of his early papers and writings. Um, a lot of books that you could probably guess that I tend to read happen to be about strong women yeah. um, and in different points of history. So, yeah. Um, Anyone that I, really resonated with I would with say, you? well, that one, I would say recently I, I really liked that. Yeah. And I'm really into right now, I'm almost done watching The Marvelous Miss Maisel. Oh, my gosh. So, I love that. Yeah. I just started watching it two and, weeks and, ago. And again, she's amazing. Yeah. And a woman who, you know, wanted to break through as a comic. And, um, you know, I love Zachary Levi anyway. He's just great. Yeah. And, and all the people in the cast are incredible. Um, and so again, that's kind of a strong, you know, yep. um, I, and I, 
you know, I I thought this season of House of Cards um, with, you know, a female president, that was really interesting. Now, I don't want to give away any spoilers, so I won't, <laughs> I won't say anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I would say... Um, I would say, you know, a lot of the, the, there's there's a lot of great great books, great authors out there, um, you know, male and female, and um, yeah, I just I just blow through books. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. I know it's hard to find time to read, but you obviously yeah. Get no, to do it I think you go at to night, you know, they say that you should really it put your phone to go to away sleep too. Yeah, put your phone away. So you know, I find that if I like, di- you know, I'm like diving deep into the Twitter, Instagram world, you know, my mind starts racing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I always tell my daughters to. Tr- to do that but unfortunately you know it's really hard that's kind of what they do you know to relax you know they'll scroll through but for me it's just like take me to another world especially after if you're doing something like literally studying football you know all day all night two teams you know you're just eyes are glazing over and you're like just get me to something else you know Mm -hmm. I want to I want to just think about something else so that's why I find it like it's really really transports you it's so true I Mm -hmm. find I have a stack of books next to my bed I'm the same way I love to read and especially Mm -hmm. when I travel I love to read but a lot of them are coaches books and you know I'm this like I need to be better all the time at everything I'm doing Mm -hmm. it's coaches books it's military books and Mm -hmm. friends over Christmas break said you got to start watching something watch the marvelous Mrs. Maisel yeah yeah. and it's true it really takes you away Mm -hmm. because I find if I don't break away from what I'm doing and you're mentioning this well you need outlets you need you know things that are going to take your mind Mm -hmm. off of what you're doing every single day yeah and I also cook a lot I love cooking it's just and I got really good at I worked with so many chefs when I was at CBS for five years because on the morning shows you know we did a lot of cooking so just the greats you know Bobby Flay was a regular Mm -hmm. I mean I, I learned so much just tips and tricks and everything from being there and I've always loved to cook so I do a lot of cooking and really no matter what I'm doing no matter how crazed I am I I, I, I cook a fair amount. And that's to me, that's awesome. like super relaxing yeah. and fun and creative. Right, you know? right. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to come to your house for dinner. Yes, there you We're go. We're going to read books and watch The Marvelous <laughs> Mrs. Maisel. And you're going to cook for me. It sounds great. Yes. Hannah, it's been so fun having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to come Same, into Catherine. the studio yeah. and just keep doing what you're doing because it's awesome. Well, we vice love versa. You. <laughs> you, you keep up Thanks. the great work. You're fantastic. Thank you. You represent uh, women in our industry so well. So oh, just... Thanks. Yeah, yeah, you keep it up as well. And thanks for Appreciate having it. me. Yeah, it's we'll really have to fun. do it again. Thanks, Hannah. Okay, bye. Our thanks to Hannah Storm for joining us in studio. You can download the On Her Turf podcast wherever you download your podcasts. Let us know what you think. We certainly want to hear from you, so be sure to chime in. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at On Her Turf. Have a great rest of your day, everyone, and be sure to join us next time for the On Her Turf podcast.